Hello, everyone. How are you doing? And welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show. Why interview educators and entrepreneurs on how you can level up. Each week, I zoom in someone who's just dope, and we sit back and have a conversation on how you can live your best life. Now, today's guest is Dr. Sims, who is a professional therapist, and I've been wanting to do a show related to self-care because, as you know, in doing my podcast, I like to tell people that I am sort of educating the whole teacher. And that's why I talk about professional development, personal development, and finances and getting your side hustle. And part of that deals with you sort of looking at yourself, your self-care, and being focused on sort of your inner self uh, because we know what we deal with on as uh, educators. I don't want to go into some of that stuff, but if you've been on Facebook, you see what you see what some of y'all be saying. Uh, so uh, I wanted to have Dr. Sims on to come on and drop her knowledge. Uh, she has a great show on YouTube, and we'll get into that. Uh, so for those who will be watching on YouTube in the future, on SoundCloud and iTunes, I need you to subscribe and leave your feedback. Uh, Dr. Sims, will you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. And again, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Will. Um, so I'm a licensed psychologist. I am a mental health clinician. So all day I do therapy, 40 hours a week. <laughs> but on the side, I do have a YouTube channel, like you mentioned, called The Art of Being Selfish. It is one of my happy places um, because it allows me to get deeper into the work that I really enjoy doing. I also co-host a podcast um, called School and Life. And so I'm a little bit in the podcast world, but those are some of the things that I do for work awesome awesome so who are you and why did you become a therapist Absolutely. So when I think about this question, sometimes it's a little difficult for me to answer because I do just want to tell people like, what do I do? Like, what is the work that I do? But in reality, how I describe who I am is more so about the characteristics and qualities of who I am. And so I'm a very compassionate person. Um, I really love other people. Like I try to live a life of love where I'm showing that to other people and just bringing people into a space of love. Um, and with that being said, like I love my husband, so I'm a wife. I love my family. I have a lot of family and a lot of friends who I've adopted into being my family. And so loving on them, spending time with them. Um, I'm a lover of like having life experiences and doing things. Um, I really enjoy traveling and seeing the world. If I was going to spend my money on anything, it would be spending my money on traveling and seeing different places, learning about different cultures and things like that. So that's kind of who I am. Um, as far as what made me become a therapist, that's a bit of an interesting story because I'm not the person who thought that I was going to be a therapist my entire life. I actually wanted to be an actress. I'm still waiting on someone to come <laughs> and get me to be in some Oscar winning role so that I could get an Academy Award. I'm probably not going to happen, but I would still love that. And so in college, I was a theater major, but ended up also becoming a psychology major, took a psychology class by accident and fell in love with the field. I fell in love with understanding the mind and really getting an idea of like why do people do certain things like what makes people tick so I decided to double major at the time had no idea what I was going to do with that but I did a summer research program and they talked about getting a PhD and what that looks like and I did more investigation about the different kinds of PhDs you could get related to psychology and one of them that came up was about counseling psychology 
And so in doing the investigation around that, you know, you can either do clinical psychology, which is more of a research-based kind of program, or counseling psychology, which is really more so focused on holistic health and well-being and how do we get people to actualizing their true selves. And so that was really interesting to me. I found a program that focused on cultural diversity and things that I'm also interested in aside from counseling. And it just seemed like a good fit. So I flew all the way up to Minneapolis <laughs> to go to a graduate program to be a counseling psychologist. Um, but as I reflected on it a little bit more and making that decision, I realized that I was always the person who talk to people. I love talking to people. I enjoy talking to people. I was always the friend who you could come to and they could cry on my shoulder and I would give them advice, which is not necessarily what therapists do, but I would give people advice and try to help them to figure out their problems. And so in looking back, I saw that I had those characteristics already, but I just needed the degree to make it happen. So here I am. Wow. Wow. Uh, I wanted to win an Oscar for best <laughs> director. I actually went to film school, so I have a degree in film production. I'm looking at it right on the wall. Oh, nice. Yes, yes. And I ended up uh, working in a youth program. And so that's sort of how my career changed. And, and uh, when I went back to get a second bachelor's in child and family studies, I was told that a better fit for me would have been uh, to get my master's in social work and become a licensed mm-hmm. clinical social worker. Uh, but I ended up getting my graduate degrees in education. Now, you mentioned School and Life uh, podcast. And I'm a, I, I just got to find, like, is this you? Because I've been listening to that bad boy on SoundCloud. And one of the episodes I listened to yesterday was about people being in relationships and money. Yep. Yep. That's the one that we just recently did. Mm-hmm. And uh, so someone was talking about how their husband is just like real laid back within somebody was saying, I live in a, in, in the mind of abundance. So yes, Ashley, that was us. So Ashley lives in the mind of abundance. My husband is more laissez-faire. I'm still struggling with the whole abundance thing, but yep, that's us. What? <laughs> yep. Wow. I didn't know I was listening to your podcast. See, that's so cool. Look at that. It worked out perfectly. <laughs> and with Minda, who recently did the Secure the Sea episode, that was us on there. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, she's been on my podcast as well. Uh, so, wow, people. Yeah. Look at how everything <laughs> is connected. Uh-huh, I love it. <laughs> wow, I, I like that podcast. Uh, Thank you. It, it's really interesting because, you know, I don't co-host. So uh, to hear that that back and forth with it. And I like how you to move the conversation along. Uh, sometimes I listen to like co-host folk and they just sort of ramble on before they get into the show. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, man, I'm just done with this show. Look, I don't have so much time to get ready in the morning. I need y'all to get on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we try not to waste any time. We're like, we're not that fancy where we can sit on the podcast and talk for two hours. So we get to the point, get it over with so y'all can go on y'all way. Awesome. Awesome. This is fantastic. Uh, so you also uh, created a show on YouTube called the art of being selfish. What was the pain point behind creating your show and what topics do you cover? Absolutely. So the pain point behind it, and I just, I love that word because it really does come from a place of what is the problem? Like where was, what is the problem that needs to be solved? And that's really what, what it was for me. So 
in a lot of different ways. I, in a lot of my clients, I would see them talk about being selfish and they would be talking about it in these contexts where it was completely the opposite. And so in a lot of like relationships, they would say, oh, this isn't a good relationship for me, but if I leave, then I'm going to be selfish or if I start stop talking to them, I'm going to be selfish. And I would just be sitting there, like I said, in the back of my mind, I would be sitting there like, that's actually not selfish at all. Like you need to walk away. Um, of course, can't say that to them, but I kept hearing that same pattern over and over and over again. And one of the things that has really been a passion for me is black women and empowering black women to make decisions in their lives and choices and relationships and things like that, that will allow them to be more self-actualized and be more full. And so I would see this happening a lot with my black clients and it would be infuriating to me that we are choosing not to be selfish over our happiness and our sanity. So that was one piece of it. But then I also noticed it with myself and with my friends and the people in my close circles. Like I could see myself falling into that pattern of, I'm not necessarily going to do this because somebody might think I'm selfish or I don't want anybody to think that I'm too full of myself. And so I'm not going to do this. And a lot of people around me making those same decisions. But then the other part of not being selfish is that you tend to not take, a, take care of yourself in a way that will allow you to be happy and whole and fulfilled. You're not doing those things that require selfishness so that you can be taking care of yourself. Like an act of self-care is not focused on anybody else. It's not focused on taking care of anyone else. It's about prioritizing yourself. And so if you're trying to avoid being selfish, you're also avoiding taking care of yourself, which can lead to a whole host of other issues. So I really wanted to create a space that empowered women to feel like they can focus on their mental health, they can focus on prioritizing themselves, and they can also be taking care of other people. But I really do believe that you can't feed other people from an empty vessel. You can't give to other people if you're not full yourself. And so we have to be focused on how do we fill ourselves up so that we can be there and take care of other people. So that is pretty much what the whole premise of The Art of Being Selfish is. That's where it came from, is that we're taking a little play on selfishness right we're taking this play and being like okay we're gonna focus on ourselves but kind of focusing on ourselves it's a it's a roundabout way of getting to focus on other people by first focusing on ourselves and on the channel I have seven different areas of self-care that I focus on generally every week I focus on a different topic um it's physical self-care emotional self-care mental or psychological self-care, professional self-care, which is really all about just adulting 101. There is spiritual self-care because I believe that we are all spiritual beings, Rela relational self-care that focuses on our relationships, relationships with people, and then there's sexual self-care. And the reason that I pulled that out from physical self-care is because we just don't talk about sexuality enough like it's one of those things that we kind of sweep under the rug and we just pretend that you're going to figure out what happens when you get there and it leads to a lot of different complications and problems and particularly for black women we really just can't talk about it because if we talk about it then we're hypersexual if we don't talk about it we're supposed to be like these sweet little princesses in the streets and then all of a sudden unleash this sexual prowess in the bedroom and so i really think that's an important topic so each week i cover one of those topics and just talk about self-care as a lifestyle rather than like taking lavish trips or going to get manicures or pedicures. Mm, I like that idea, particularly I call it being sort of self-aware mm -hmm. uh, because my wife and I don't want children. 
and we've been married 15 years and I don't, and I don't want children. I've never wanted children. And then people are, are like, well, that's kind of self. So no, it's self-aware mm-hmm. because I know that I won't take care of nothing else. You know, mm-hmm. I got my, I got myself and my wife, uh, but I don't want that because I understand that within the life that we've built, I want the freedom to where if the University of Toronto called me today and said, Dr. Will, we want you to come over and be a a visiting professor for the next three years, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have to be thinking about, oh, what about school? If I pull, you know, Kareem out of this school, what is it going to do to him? What is this move going to do to him? What about his friends? What all? No. If the wife is down, we're out. And, and, And so that's sort of how I looked at it as, I know what I want in my life and what I don't want in my life. So I made sure that I also found a wife <laughs> that didn't want any either uh, because I didn't want to have that conversation, even though I knew going in, hey, I don't want that. Absolutely. And I think that's an ultimate act of selfishness. Like I actually did an episode about that too. Like if you don't want kids, you don't want kids and that's okay. And so I, I some completely support that and agree with it. Awesome. So I want to throw this out there to you because with some of the suicides that have hit the news and, and Twitter and all that thing as of the last uh, month, I've seen things come in my Twitter feed that uh, black people were talking about the need for us to seek out mental health care and how we have to destigmatize going to therapy and seeking help in the black community. From your work, what have you been seeing or what have you heard or what reasons have you discovered as to why I guess black people may not seek out mental health care or look at it as being something that other people do and not us? Absolutely. So there are a few different reasons for that, that I've researched, that I've heard clinically, that I've heard outside of the clinical area. One of the reasons is that Black folks still have a very significant mistrust of the healthcare system. So we still don't like, and it's, it's founded in history, right? So there are real reasons why we do that, but we just still have that sense of, I don't trust you. I don't want you quote unquote, getting in my head and doing any of these things. And so I think that that's a big part of where the stigma originated from. But then we also have this belief that we can't ask people for help and that we can't, like, we don't need anybody else to be able to do things. Like, we're supposed to be the strong people and we're supposed to be able to figure it out ourselves and it's okay. And we sweep all of these mental illnesses under the rug because it's a, it's a quote unquote brain problem, right? You should be able to just fix your brain, change your perspective, stop crying, get it together and be okay and move on. And so we hide the fact that there are lots of people in our families who are experiencing mental illnesses and we don't talk about them. So it continues to send this message and perpetuate this message that, well, if they got through it, even though they might have, it was something a little off with them and they got through it and they're fine, then I should be able to as well. Not even knowing that a lot of times people secretly, because a lot of my clients come and see me secretly with nobody knowing about it at all, they're out there getting the help that they need we're not talking about it at all. Another thing that comes up, though, is that there's this belief that you can't be a religious person and also seek mental health treatment. 
Mm-hmm. And not that every black person is religious, not at all, but a lot of us are. And this idea that you just pray about it, you should just be able to pray the issue away. And if you have a close enough relationship with God, he's going to take care of it. And I don't believe that that's true. I believe that God will take care of you, but God also provides you with resources to be able to take care of yourself. And so if you need to go see someone, he's going to send you a psychologist or a therapist that can help you with that. And the last thing that I'll talk about is that I believe, and I think that we're moving, especially with social media, we get to see a lot more than we used to see in the past. But this idea that there aren't like people who look like us sitting across from us in the therapy room. And so I'm really passionate about, that's why I wanted to do a YouTube channel prior to like doing any other kind of um, platform, because I wanted people to be able to see me. I want people to be able to see my natural hair. I want people to be able to see my brown skin and know that I'm not some Sigmund Freud looking person sitting across from you. Like I'm a black woman who is also a religious person who also believes in mental health treatment. And the more that we can start to change the face of therapy and this idea that the people who are helping also look like us, I think that we'll start to see more people coming into therapy. I hear you. I hear you. And aside from, I think it being one of the noble professions, it is also one of the professions, you know, I I look at and go, that's how you can get your side hustle on as well because you can always work for a hospital or a, a, a counseling center and then hang up your shingle at your house or another office somewhere else get you a little side money uh so impacted so. impacted income that's what i'm about right that is so true it was, it's work because if you're working i would not say that we get paid a lot of money particularly what setting you are in but there are definitely some places you can go if you want to if i wanted to do a little side hustle on the weekend i could definitely see a few more clients and so you're absolutely right it can definitely be a hustle awesome that's how we do it around here people uh being an educator is, is just a stressful job and more and more educators, particularly those in K through 12, just leaving the profession. Uh, you got anything from administrators to parents to students themselves and the principal, all of these pressures with testing. Let's talk about being selfish and self-care. How can an educator walk away from everything they're experiencing at school that is just bringing them down and go home and feel and become their most fulfilled selves? So when you talk about a noble profession, I commend y'all so much in the K through 12 field because I can only imagine just how stressful that work environment is. Even if you're, if you're in one of the best schools, you still have so much pressure to be raising the next generation of children. Children spend majority of their time in school. And so it's a really important, impactful field. And so I thank you all for the work that you're doing. Um, but I think it really kind of goes back to a work-life balance kind of mentality. And I know that because K through 12 teachers in particular have a lot of work that they have to do outside of actual work. And so it makes it a little more tricky to be focusing on having a work-life balance, but it's really important to figure out in what ways you can do that. So even if it means like when you're at work, how do we make the most optimal amount how do we use that time most optimally? And so if I need to stay an extra hour at work to get things done so that when I go home, the things that I need to do for that day are off of my plate, I think that's really important. But it's also about 
making your work environment an environment that you enjoy working in. So a lot of times when work environments are really stressful, you dread going there. It it makes you sick to your stomach just to be there. And so if you already are going into your workplace feeling like that, the whole day you're going to feel like that. And that's not going to just turn off when you get home. And so if you're adamant about staying in the job that you're in, how do you make that work environment a place that you want to be in? What are some of the things that you can focus on being grateful for? Sometimes the being grateful part is just the saying, I have a job and I'm getting a salary (laughs) or I'm getting some money. And sometimes that's what we have to start with. But also just be thinking about like, is there a favorite student that you have? Are there multiple students that you really enjoy working with? How can you feed into your students to make sure that you're being fulfilled? Because I would imagine that most teachers aren't just being teachers because it's convenient or that just, you know, it's just there. Like I would imagine that a lot of teachers have a passion for it. And so how do you be creative and showing that passion. I saw some teachers who were like decorating their doors for Black History Month and things like that. And I was like, that is so cool. So what are some of the creative things that you can be doing? Not that it won't take more time to do those. So at the beginning, you might have to put a little more time up, but how can you make your work environment someplace that you enjoy? And then outside of that, how much can you not be doing work at home? So I think a lot of times people feel this drive to be successful and this drive to just keep working, keep working, keep working. If I don't work, the whole world is going to fall apart. That's actually not very true. A lot of times you don't have to respond to an email at 11 o'clock at night. If somebody's emailing you at 11 o'clock at night, it's probably not an emergency. And so if it's not an emergency, you don't have to respond. But a lot of times we feel this pressure, especially because technology has has advanced way more than we're ready for it to we feel this pressure that anytime someone texts us emails us calls us we have to respond immediately you do not and so how do you set up your home life to not be easily accessible all the time if you don't have to be if you're the principal of a school your requirements might look a little different than being a teacher but really doing a self-evaluation around why am i working so hard why am i always available if if you're feeding some insecurity or something like that then you might want to check yourself around that but make your home life be your home life do things with your family and with your friends that allow you in a place to escape and not let your entire life be consumed by your job mm. okay uh, well how, how do they shut it off <clears throat> because I hear what you're saying, but the, but as you as you mentioned earlier, there are teachers they go home, they they grade, uh, plan, and not to mention if they were at work and Jimmy cut up, and I mean cut up, and literally through from that time after through their whole day off, may have wrote Jimmy up sent Jimmy to the office, the principal didn't do anything, sent Jimmy back. Now the teacher is upset at the principal, and, and now the, the, the teacher is this close from going off on Jimmy. <clears throat> how do they just literally, and I don't know if it's even possible, but emotionally, how do they just go, I'm just going to wipe Jimmy off and then go home and be themselves and be relaxed and be giving and loving without whatever happening that day with Jimmy and their principal on their mind? That is a great question. And there are lots of 
things that I think can be helpful in that situation. So one, my question would be, did you talk to the principal, right? And so I know that a lot of times that anger and that that feeling of like resentment from things not getting done isn't necessarily directed at the kid because at this point you've done what you had to do with Jimmy and the principal is the person that's continuing to cause conflict in that regard. And so I would want to have a conversation with the principal about what led to this decision, explaining that this is still an issue. And so how can we find some kind of compromise or some level of agreement about what needs to happen because I can't do my job with this student continue to be disruptive in my class. And sometimes getting an understanding around the decision-making process can be really helpful in you just feeling better about the consequences of that decision. The other thing that I think is really important, and again, I've never been a K-12 through teacher, and I might be being a little idealistic about how this could happen, so I apologize if that's the case, but having a friend or some kind of activity that you engage in to help you calm down because I would imagine it's a regular occurrence that some student is going to be getting on your nerves and so what is the thing that you can do even if it's just stepping into the bathroom for five minutes doing some woosahs or listening to some meditative music that will allow you to calm down and recenter yourself I think that a lot of times again with self-care people don't have that escape piece. They don't have that piece that allows them to just get away from reality for a minute and calm themselves down. And so if you don't have that, then you're regularly experiencing this level of emotional dysregulation that doesn't allow you to respond in the moment. So of course, when you get home, you're going to be trying to decompress and it's very difficult to get into that space. So what are the things that you can do in that moment when you're feeling upset, whether it's having a conversation with the principal, having a conversation with another teacher, going to your car and listening to a gospel song like whatever it is that you need in that moment we have to have ways to de-escalate ourselves then maybe when you get home maybe you're still not over it and that's fine but maybe if you have a partner or you have a friend that you can talk to after work take a few minutes at work to after work to decompress, do those things that you need to do and remind yourself that your home is your sanctuary. Your home is your place of relax, but you have to be able to express those feelings in some kind of way and get them out because if you do keep stuffing them down, you are going to end up either blowing up or having a meltdown when you get back home. Mm. So what are some of the reasons that you've seen that prevent people from becoming more successful in their lives and career? One of the reasons that I've seen that is people don't have a clear definition of what success is. They're making up this definition of success based on either other people's definition of success or they're trying to have success in a way that is fleeting. So a lot of people, when they think about success, they're like, I want the nice house and the nice car and I want all the money. And those are great things, but at some point, those aren't really going to matter. And so when you think about success, like what are you really driving towards? They also sacrifice a lot of things to reach that success. So a lot of times people might sacrifice their families, might sacrifice their personal lives just so they can reach that level of success, just to turn around and realize that that isn't what they wanted this entire time and it's not as happy and fulfilling as they think it is. Then on the other side of that, just in terms of being successful in your life, I think that a lot of people will sabotage what they really want. Like they won't really go for what they really want. They find a level of safety and stability and 
maybe some level of contentment, but it's not really what they want to be happy. And so instead of taking the risk to go out and do what they want to do to be happy, they settle for just being okay and just being able to make it. And so I just really think about what is it that you want? Really having that self-awareness, like you said earlier, to know what it is that you want and then be willing to make the sacrifices that you need to be able to get there. If it, But don't sacrifice the things that are most important in life. Your family, the people who love you, like relationships, those kinds of things are the most important things in life. Don't sacrifice those, but definitely sacrifice maybe comfort or safety, overcome that fear to really go out and do the things that you want to do, whatever that is. Be clear about that and then make that decision to go ahead and do what that is mm. <clears throat> okay so i want to throw this out there to you how does someone do that right so let's just say i'm a teacher but in in my mind i'm like okay i'm 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 ready to leave the profession to become a consultant or or I've always wanted to own own a bakery or what have you but I got a mortgage <clears throat> I got some student loans and this chick as little as it is is coming in every month and I have insurance etc mm-hmm. how does someone sort of mentally say I, I guess accept and acknowledge this is what they want and then go for it. Getting over the fear of if I do that, it may not work out. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of a personal story about how the YouTube channel started and then I'll tie it back around to how people can do this. So when I first felt in my spirit that I wanted to start this YouTube channel. I was like, nope, mm-mm, not going to happen. <laughs> I like my job. I like my stability. I like, I like exactly what I'm doing right now. It's comfortable. It's good. I have my health insurance. I'm making steady income. I'm good. And so I put it off to the side for a really long time. And then it kept coming up for me. Like it kept, I kept getting these messages around it. Like I kept having conversations with people. I just, it just kept coming back up and I kept trying not to because it's scary. Like putting yourself out there and doing these things can be really scary. But there was a point where I was like, you know what? What harm does it do to try? I did not quit my job to do this. I didn't sacrifice that level of stability that I had to do this, but it does mean that I sacrificed some time, right? And so there are certain amounts of time that I'm spending recording. There are certain amounts of time that I'm spending editing, uploading, um, social media kinds of things that happen outside of my nine to five job. And if you are a person who keeps getting that message and you keep getting that desire that comes up that you should be doing something else, I really encourage you to figure out how you can make it happen. So what that means is that maybe you can't be doing the 50 million things that you're doing right now. You got to cut it down to like 10 million so that you can add that in on the side. Maybe it means that you're giving up your weekends. Maybe it means that you're giving up some evenings so that you can be able to do this, but it's leading to something that you feel more passionate about. Give it a certain time frame. Give it a year. Give it two years. Give it time to grow. And then when you get to a place where you're making the money that 
you want to make that can let you walk away from the job that you're at right now, then do that. It doesn't mean that just because you're following your passion, you have to just like completely jump off the deep end and just be like, you know what, I'm going all in. I wouldn't encourage that for anything, but you definitely can be planful and figure out how you can make it happen and still have a healthy life balance. Like you still want to be able to do things that you enjoy doing that don't revolve around your side hustle nor your regular full-time job, but it's really about being planful and intentional. I know there are a lot of people, I sit down and talk to people about like, just show me your schedule. Write down your seven days a week schedule. What are you doing at every time of the day? And all of that white space is free time. Like what are the things that you have to be doing? You have to be at work. Maybe you have to be at some meeting or something like that. But all of that other space, also you have to sleep. So put that in there. But all of that other space is free space. Now you get to choose based on priority what you do in that free space. If you choose to go out to the club, that's fine. But just recognize that you could also be choosing during that time to be doing something that's leading towards your passion. It will take work, but if it really is something that you're passionate about and it really is something that you've been desiring to do for a long time, what does it hurt for you to at least try it? Mm. All right. I love the gems. I love the gems. Uh, Earlier before we started recording, we talked about how in one one of your episodes, you opened up by saying, look, this this is for education. And if you need, this is no substitute for working with a real professional therapist. And there's a lot of people out there, uh, whether it's social media, YouTube, or they've been on Oprah, some other show, and they're writing these books, uh, life coaches out there as well. How can someone tell if what they're feeling can be tackled via educational resources like the ones I mentioned, or whether they need to actually sit down with the therapist? That's actually a really great question. I am all about experimenting. So while I believe in the power of therapy, and I think that everybody should have a therapist, so I'm always going to be like, oh, just go talk to a therapist. I recognize that one, therapy is expensive, and the access to resources isn't there for a lot of people, and there's still a stigma around that. And so I say, experiment with it. If you're finding that Maybe you're noticing you're feeling sad for more days than you were in the past. Maybe find a book about depression or maybe find a book around sadness. There are lots of self-help books out there, particularly around like being happy and living your best life. So try the books, try the things out. Give it time though. A lot of times, and this goes along with being in therapy as well. A lot of times people don't give it a chance. (laughs) They will start and try something for like three days. And it's like, man, that didn't work. So I'm over it. No, no, no. Give it, they say what a habit is 21 days. So give it time, go a month or so doing that. And if you notice that nothing's changing, you're still consistently experiencing like problematic kinds of things in your life, then it may be time for you to go talk to a therapist. But I encourage people to really try like my channel for is a prime example of that. It is something that is an educational resource. It is something that I'm saying you should be able to do these things and this can impact your life in a certain way. But there is a line where you're doing these things 
and your life isn't changing at all. That is where you decide to go see a therapist. And the beautiful thing about therapy is that you can consult with a therapist. You can go meet with someone for one session. You all can talk over the phone and you can say like, I think I might need therapy, but I'm not really sure. Or I think I might want therapy, but I'm not sure if you're going to be the best fit for me. So you can actually talk to therapists before you go and see them and you can consult with them about whether or not therapy is what's needed and whether or not they're going to be a good fit for you. Mm. And so since you brought that up, I want to throw this out there to you. How does someone select a therapist? What should they be looking for in that fit? Yes, another great question. Actually, shameless plug, this whole month is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I'm doing a series of videos about these topics in particular, because I get that question a lot. Like, how do you find a therapist? So it's a few different things that you can be thinking about when you want a therapist. One, be thinking about are you more of a solution-focused kind of person or is this something that you really kind of want to just have someone to talk to about? Because your solution-focused kinds of therapists and your process-oriented therapists are going to be, you're going to be looking for something a little different. So just have an idea of what it is that you're looking for regarding that, but also have an idea of what it is that you want in a therapist. And I mean, general, like general characteristics. Do you want someone that's close to your job? Do you want someone that's close to your house? Do you want someone that looks like, like you? Do you want a black woman? Do you want a black male? Do you want someone who is a religious therapist like really be thinking about what those characters and qualities are for that person there are a plethora of different resources that you can look into to find this information out so like psychology today is a really big resource that is nationwide and you can just put in a zip code and it will pull up all the therapists in that area and then you can look at like different specialties, different modalities, whether or not they take your insurance. So really thinking about like what your resources are too, because if you need someone that takes your insurance, you want to be focusing specifically on your insurance. But if you're willing to pay out of pocket for something like that, then you're able to have a wide range of access to people. Um, also, just trying people out, because sometimes you may think that you want a certain thing, but you get into a relationship with someone and you realize that what that thing was that was really important to you didn't even matter. So I have people who I've talked to and I'm just going to talk specifically on being a black woman therapist or being a black woman client and wanting a black woman therapist. I know plenty of black women who are like, man, I met with a white therapist. They were great. <laughs> they gave me exactly what I needed. And so don't let that one barrier get in your way of seeing someone else. Go see someone. And please keep in mind that we're not offended when you don't like us. Like, I say this all the time. Everybody doesn't like me like as a person or as a therapist, and I'm fine with that. But it's okay. Like We're not offended by you not thinking that this is a good fit. So if you go meet with someone, not understand that people don't want to just keep opening up to people, it's probably helpful that you keep opening up to people. That's a, it's a, a, life, it's a life challenge for you to grow a little bit. But I get that you want, don't want to do that. But if it's not a good fit and it's not working, don't just throw out therapy. Go meet with someone else. Mm, that's all right. That's all right. People, Dr. Sims has been doing it today. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So before we go, what is your call to action to those people who can't seem to find their emotional center? They're being pulled in many directions and they don't have a sense of stillness in their lives. I would definitely say find some stillness. 
not even so meditating is a big thing right now and so i'm definitely open to people like really meditating but more so just like sitting down for a minute we live in a very high-paced society where we're always thinking about going 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 we're always on social media our twitter feeds are always blowing up our notifications are always on we're looking at the news it just really just overwhelmed by everything that's going on so i would just encourage everyone to take a minute sit down put your phone on do not disturb turn it off if you need to and really just take some time to reflect on you find out what is going on with you when people ask you how you're doing you should be able to actually tell them how you're doing and not just say oh i'm good which is the typical response to that question so really do a self-assessment about how am i doing am i at the place in life where i thought that i would be right now am i doing the things that i want to be doing right now and if the answer to that is no Reflect on what are the things that you need to be doing to get there. If you are, like, if your emotions are all over the place and you feel like one day you're really, really happy and the other day you're really, really sad, do some self-reflection around what is going on there. And if you can't answer that question, go talk to someone. And it doesn't always have to be a therapist. So kind of going back to the other question about how do you know whether or not you need to see a therapist, if you can talk to your friends and that gives you peace and solace, that is a great thing. Utilize your support system. But a lot of times we're not talking to anybody about anything. So yes, do that self-reflection, but also have the people that you can talk to that offer you support. But really do some do a self-assessment do an inventory of what is going on with you sometimes that inventory does take you talking to other people but really get an idea of where you are and where you want to be and then plan out those steps in getting there mm. Woo! great way to end great way <laughs> to end this podcast dr sims thank you so much for coming on the show you are so welcome thank you so much for having me this was great you're welcome. Thank you. And at some point, I would like to have you back on the show with your partner to actually talk about podcasting because I do interview podcasters on the show as well. Yes, we would love to. Ashley loves talking about podcasting. So we would definitely love to come back and hang out with you. Excellent. Excellent. So people, you know how I do this. The video cast will be going up on, on YouTube. I need you to subscribe, leave your comments. The podcast will be going up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Need you to follow, subscribe, leave your comments. Your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that we're doing big things around here. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace. <laughs>